Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 70. For those of you new to the show, my name's Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, the live circuit. Angel Comedy is one of the most sought-after and highly respected comedy nights in London. Having only started six years ago, it was built up from nothing, having gone from a small room above a pub in Islington to recently where they had a crowdfunding campaign supported by the community of performers and loyal audience that they've accumulated over the better part of a decade to buy their own pub and convert it into a purpose-built comedy venue. I got on half of the original founders, Barry Ferns and Sarah Pierce, to talk about how they've built a community around their club, and most interestingly, how they did it through the pay-what-you-want model of letting people come in for free and give what they can on the way out. I should say now they also offer ticketed shows as well as the free shows, but the whole thing has fascinated me, and I hope it does you as well. Very quickly, in the full interest of disclosure, if you've listened to the happy two-year anniversary pod that I put out a few weeks ago, you'll know that I said I was starting an LGBT kink themed comedy night and podcast. The podcast has had to be delayed slightly. I'm happy to announce that that gig will be taking place at the Bill Murray, which is the name of the pub that Angel Comedy owns through the crowdsourcing campaign in Islington in London. Full details and links are in the show notes and if you'd like to get yourself a ticket for the January date, which is Sunday the 22nd, I would really like to pack it out that night and show the venue that there is an audience for that concept. They're being amazingly supportive and just so helpful and just exactly what you'd expect from a community-led project like this so if you can make it please do come if you can't make it please share the link with a friend who can or who might be interested or just invite them to the event on facebook every little bit of that helps and i can't thank you enough if you do any of it if you're new here please hit the subscribe button if you're old here please consider giving us a review in itunes but for now this is barry ferns and sarah pierce well you you began it How did Angel Comedy begin? Angel Comedy started off as an open mic night on a Thursday and a regular night, uh, a professional night on a Saturday. I had been doing stand-up for a couple of, well, not a couple of years, maybe a year, maybe six months solidly. I'd done bits and bobs before that. I also did more stand-up when I was much younger and then I did sketch comedy, so... I had been done some Mirth Control gigs. Roddy Fraser ran a gig at the uh, bathhouse. Roddy was his gig was always great, but you had to fly for about two hours for it, 
they sometimes could pay you for, which was nice of him. Uh, other times it was free if he didn't have enough people in, but you fly in Leicester Square, uh, often out in the cold, and because uh, it was often cold, you know, for a couple of hours. And it was great because it was, it was a good thing to go and do because it was a you'd get an audience and that was it the audience was gold and other times I was going to doing mirth control gigs and traveling up and down the country and paying like 20 or 30 pounds essentially in petrol money to go and being in a car which was really interesting I like being in cars with comedians it's fun so doing all these different things and actually losing quite a lot of time and money doing other gigs and the idea so running a open mic gig was a an interesting thing to do but in terms of a Saturday gig it was like I was really bored and tired of playing to an audience that were just either open micers or and that was it so I uh, came up with the idea to take the money that I was losing from traveling around the country and performing to no people often or uh, five people you know a mirth control gig I remember going to you know you go to these far-flung places and there are five people in the audience and you know because the at the time I don't know mirth controls like anymore but at the time I think the venue would pay for the, the comedy to be there so the venue was publicizing it and mirth would get a set rate and that would pay for the comedians and they'd get their their, their cut so <clears throat> I was losing all this money doing stand-up and I thought well I'll tell you what instead of losing all this money doing stand-up in different places and investing all this time I could lose this money on my own terms um, and so so the idea was behind Angel Comedy was initially right what I'll do is I'll get myself and some of my friends that are doing comedy of which Sarah was one of them and so the idea was initially to run a gig on a Saturday night that has a paid-for headline act and some other really good new people and the incentive for the new people is to perform in front of an audience and the incentive for the headline act is they're getting paid and to offer something for free in order just to get stage time and I would rather lose a hundred pounds on my own terms and try and get an audience than lose a hundred pounds over three or four nights performing to five people and that's where the idea for Angel Comedy came about so I talked to somebody called Linus Lee about that and me and Linus started it up and we we're in these Islington Gazette we kind of contacted them there's a picture of me and Linus on the front page of the Islington Gazette and then that started out on in, in on a September in 2010 it was once a week on a Saturday and then it got busy quite quickly and my girlfriend at the time Katerina Varana came along she was kind of like we talk about it but she wasn't quite as invested but then when it got busy quite quickly she became involved with that and Sarah performed at the first few and saw how busy it was and came on board then and then we had this kind of the four of us that was me, Linus, Sarah and Katerina that did it for the first kind of six months until Linus left to go to Australia and also because his material was a bit dark for a Saturday night. Yeah, it was, it was, I was performing at the time and it was a chance to do really regular shows in front of actual audience members not too far from home and it was yeah it was it was great and to be able to offer others comedians that as well and then it just started getting busier and busier and busier and kind of took a life on its own and we we expanded so we went from the open mic nights on Thursday and the more kind of professional we call them professional because yeah. we had the um, headliners come yeah. in, didn't we? So they were a professionally run night. Yeah. And then after about a year and a half, uh, the pub asked if I wanted to do a Sunday night. And then I think that was that was just me at the time. And I almost ran, I tried to run a night with Deck Monroe bit. That didn't really work. There was a cinema night that we tried to run, Stuart Silver and... Kim Noble came down, there were a couple of other people that came down. Never really worked that. And then that became, after about six months of trial and error, 
then that became a, a new act night as well because that format seemed to work and then that that worked as well and then it was three nights a week for, for another year mm-hmm. then after about it must have been about so I was running pretty much just me I mean Sarah came down for the first little bit I you came and helped help Thursdays, Thursdays yeah called Rich, yeah. Rich Hutchinson as well who was regularly kind of helping out like I'd do all the booking and stuff and yeah. then on the night you'd come down and Richard would come down. So that was like Sundays and Thursdays and Saturdays, wasn't it? And then and then I remember the pub asked if we could do every night. Yeah. And we kind of we kind of thought, Oh, maybe we could do that and realised that that was kind of a bit too much too quick and went to five days a week. Yeah. Um, and I'm really grateful for that that we took our time. And then, so it went from five to seven days. Yeah. But to begin with, it was, for the first three years, it was those two two open mic nights and Mm -hmm. Saturday night. And then it kind of, in 2013, was it 13? Yes. Yeah, it was, yeah. Something like that, yeah. I can't remember. (laughs) You you started three, essentially, Mm -hmm. and you still pretty much are. And I think outside of Edinburgh, that's something that most people look at and go how like how do you make money from free and you do do the bucket of thing at the end but how, i mean how do you find that works as a model in terms of um we don't we, we wanted we don't really make money from it like we just wanted to um do stage time so it's not, <laughs> so if people want to really become rich on comedy then perhaps don't do the pay what you can afford model i guess but for us it, it created um such a good atmosphere yeah it was a our priorities were to perform in front of an audience and what i think a lot of people that ask that question don't really understand is the mentality and the desires of performer. <laughs> like people often have an idea of how much money somebody's making or like i i've been i was working as a recycling officer for the first four years of doing angel comedy like i, I like it's just important to perform. If you don't get a chance to perform, you don't get a chance to become a stand-up. And there are fewer and fewer opportunities for people to perform in uh, in London or in England. And it's tied up by a lot of people that have agents or are you know have TV credits or have been around for a long time. So how do you even perform? So it's it's a bit it's a, it's a bit of a misnomer, I think, the question about. Sort of like making a you know why a free comedy night? How does it work? How the you know the financials of it? No no no. How do you become a stand up? Mm. How do you become a stand up comedian? That's the question nobody is asking, and a lot of the questions that people ask are the, the, a lot of people that ask questions are promoters. They're interested in money. How is this surviving? How is this business surviving? It's not a business. It's some comedians that want to be comedians. <laughs> like so you know it's almost getting the cart before the horse, but it's you know just. You have to perform. Like uh, I don't know. You know, I was I was desperate to perform, and there was nowhere to perform. So, uh, what do you do? Yeah, I'm I'm not a um, performer anymore. So I um, but I wouldn't. Yeah, during that period, I wouldn't have called myself a promoter. I'd started um, studying. I became a student to um, study psychotherapy. I think because being surrounded by all these comedians, uh, it felt <laughs> like that was the right job. Um, market. <laughs> good market yeah so you know that's how i'm gonna make all my money just by um going to like yeah therapizing everybody good luck with that <laughs> <laughs> but you know there was so there was a time when i stopped performing and i was still helping out at angel comedy regularly and for me again it's not motivated by money it's motivated by 
these were my friends and and it was such a fun night to be part of uh, in terms of the comedians and the audience who was starting to come and I had a, a, cert, a certain amount of pride that this night had been curated and developed so well it was just a lot of it was a lot of fun yeah so much fun and I guess in the last year things have changed a little it's become a lot less fun <laughs> um <laughs> going to say it's, it's it has become more of a like because we've got a new venue we got our own venue and so inevitably that meant that it became more of a formal business where we have to do stuff <laughs> do a lot of stuff a lot of stuff yeah mm. a lot of businessy stuff why the move to a venue though because if it's doing really well, you've got seven nights a week, it's packing out, you're turning people away. Most promoters would be like, you know, this, this is great. I might open up a new, uh, a new room in another pub. Mm-hmm. What you've done is you've leased a pub, which mm-hmm. is kind of a step further than I think most promoters would go. So yeah. if you weren't looking at it as a business, it seems like quite a business move to go. Well, I, I think for me, it prob- it, um, what happened with me is with the success of it once it had gone seven nights a week and once we saw that actually there was more capacity for it to grow I thought I started to think oh actually this is could be something that I do do and so now I perhaps would class myself more as a kind of venue owner not a promoter I don't know it's more an official role isn't it I'm a director you're everything yeah there's a (laughs) as well as a therapizer (laughs) I think it does something to you running a gig that 50 to 60,000 people coming through the doors every single year and does something just seems a bit severe but you realize oh there's a lot of money being made in the bar yeah and uh, none of that is going to you <laughs> so and what could you do with that money okay yeah you could survive off that money yeah. but what could you actually do with it if that was put harnessed for good like a big part of the great thing about angel is the sense of community and everybody else there and you know the fact that it does pay tens on a friday and saturday where else does it pay 10 on a friday and saturday Fuck, nowhere else you know because nobody cares about developing new talent it's like we get criticism from a lot of people for kind of being free or undermining or devaluing their products just like well who else is catering to new comedians who else is evolving new comedians who else is putting people up from a five to a ten who else is putting people in front of a big audience like that's like a Saturday or Friday night audience nobody else is you know agents and other promoters come to our venue to see the new people and nobody else is doing that and it's heartbreaking it's, you know, which is the state of the industry today and why Angel Comedy is mm. successful. But that sense of community is, is beautiful. It's really nice. There are some amazingly creative, brilliant, sweet, lovely people out there. And there's not really a sense of community in, in London. And so the idea of having a venue means that, oh, we could help facilitate that. There are some people doing great stuff, like the Free Association are great. Like they're really doing it around improv and around writing. There's, um, you know, there aren't, it's not just us running from our own venue, like they, they have their own venue, is, is my point. But it's just, yeah, that's, it, that's why we went to a venue, really. It was, it was really exciting. I mean, I, I suddenly, like last year, I had the opportunity to go from, as I said, what was practically, basically just a hangout thing and something that I had a lot of pride about kind of th- this night, and to be given the opportunity to make it into, to go into our own venue to make it into something um, bigger 
potentially more um, more sustainable was incredibly exciting and it felt like because we were turning so many people away and because I got so much pleasure from those nights <laughs> I, it just felt like why yeah it was too big an opportunity to um, to say no to. A lot of comedians and, and a few people caught up in industry, like particularly TV people mm. I've spoken to, have said there isn't really a link between talent that get on TV and the circuit. It's like you were saying before, it's very much tied up by the production house that has it or the agent that owns the production house that makes the programme. And it's nice to know that there is somewhere that's trying to bridge that gap. But do you ever think that gap can be properly bridged with, with so many, I suppose, financial stakes in place? Because there's obviously a reason why they've signed those people and they've made that show and they've pushed them out in that way. As much as the work you do is amazing, do you ever think it's, it's not going to fully bridge because there's so many agendas at play there? Um, for me, I feel we've got to just carry on doing what we do and we're creating something. We're creating an, a chance for different audiences to see different comedians. And that's all, that's all, that's what I want to do. That's what I want Angel to do. If that can help and go further. Yeah, uh, I'm being a bit inarticulate. <laughs> that's, no, that makes sense. I suppose, yeah, in some ways the club is an answer to that Gandhi line, be the change you want to see in the world. So, mm. and that change was personal. Like, I, I, I want there to be a nice audience to play to if, if I'm not going to the Glee Club every, you know, every month or the store or anything like that. And not because of a lack of ability, because I think I've rocked those rooms and, you know, kind of have rocked those rooms, but just through lack of there being space. You know, there's mm. not enough space in the circuit. There's not enough bigger venues hiring comedians now. And I don't think that's to do with there being a free comedy night. I don't think that's, I think that's to do with the fact that the entertainment industry is splintered and that there are people now that don't, you know, everyone's obsessed with what's on TV. People go to tours to visit, to see their favorite comedian. They don't go to a comedy club just to see comedy. You know, it's a lot more specific and the whole media industry has splintered. You know, people very rarely talk about what was on TV last night. They talk about the series that they're watching, you know, and they watch that at their own time and they consume it in their own way and that's what's different so the thing the reason why I suppose that bridge between people making money and and investing in new talent that comes by is that that's going to happen people do have money and you know like Netflix or Amazon or the you know or Avalon or that have or off the curb that have money and have talent are going to be able to leverage that Amazon you know Avalon are always going to be able to go to the Pleasants and say well listen if we give you this big act we you've got to put three of our not so big acts on you know on new acts on in in your venue, in the Pleasance Courtyard, which is, you know, one probably the key venue in Edinburgh still in terms of prestige. You know, there's always going to be, that's the, one of the most obvious signs of leverage, but there are so many small signs of leverage and it's why there's a lot of rubbish on TV and there's why there's so much bad stuff that made because there's a lot of leverage, there's a lot of vested interest involved and that's the world that we live in. But in terms of not being able to change that, we can't change that, but we can be the change we want to see in the world by just giving simply audiences the chance to see new comedians and comedians the chance to perform in front of big audiences. And on a basic level, that's giving people the chance to kind of develop, giving me the chance to develop as a comedian and I think that's live idea is probably as revolutionary as you get i don't want to run a production company i don't want to you know i barely want to be a promoter but if that answers that question i don't know 
Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, there's two questions on the back of that. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the route of three for one more question. They're gonna ask you about the promotion stuff. A lot of clubs talk about the circuit being in crisis, especially in London, and and ticket sales being down and all that kind of stuff. And mm. and a lot of them put it down to the free open mic gigs ruining that for them or or having a massive mm. impact on them. I know you guys have open mic nights. You know, I wouldn't necessarily class you as an open mic club as such, but you have you're you're obviously a part of that movement that people claim is having an impact on ticket sales in terms of traditional clubs. What would be your response to someone who had that mindset of what you do? I d- yeah, I, d- I don't really see how it has had an impact because I, I see some incredibly well-run, picketed gigs like the Boat Show, Comedy Club, that don't seem to be struggling at all. Like, So I, d- I don't really see that impact. I see some bad comedy nights that have been running for a long time struggling a lot more for audiences because uh, people are a lot more kind of discerning about the comedy that they're going to see and they know what's good yeah. and what's not because television over the last 10 years has shown them what's good comedy and what's not so they won't go and put up with a bad MC that's just going to insult the audience and they they're not going to put up with a badly run comedy gig I see I see that change over the last 10 years I don't see the change that um, free comedy is I think so you know, I, there's so many free comedy gigs that don't yeah. t- that aren't well run and that don't survive yeah so it's about it's about quality rather than free I think I, you know, I I think that again it's a misnomer. If people are blaming free comedy clubs, it's for a, a difference in their own product. I don't go to something because if somebody has money, they don't go to something because it's free or paid. They go to something because it's been recommended. Like you know, five or ten pounds. If you've got five to ten pounds, is not a big reason not to go to a comedy club if it's been recommended to you or if you trust that it's going to be a good night out. So. The reason why we're successful is because we're good, because we give a shit, because we put a lot of time into thinking about making it good, more time than than I'd like. <laughs> and and so the I think and the other the other thing, and this is the biggest issue that I have with anyone saying about free comedy clubs running industries, like like human beings. I'm really sorry, but our most valuable asset is our time. Time is way mm. more important the money and if somebody is giving you two to three hours of their time and give them a good show whether it's free or not and so the whole idea of people paying or not is like have some respect for humanity have some respect for people people are coming out and giving you their night so don't run a shit night it's kind of insulting and a little bewildering (laughs) to think that people have thought people people believe that we've gone from two nights to three nights to five nights to seven nights to now having our own venue just because it's free like that that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense yeah my sex life would be a lot better on me if that was (laughs) i have not once charged and uh for sex or for the gig sorry (laughs) you know i have a policy and i keep to it okay well no i mean i when i do new work when i do a new show i love doing it on the free fringe in edinburgh Mm. and wherever i can do it for free because a it means i've got to make it good because it's not like i've got the money up front they've not bought a ticket i mean Mm. when i when i did my tour i had to do ticketed at certain venues but when i can do it free i like doing it for free because it means Mm. i've got to be on my game because otherwise they might even not pay for it and that means i've wasted a year of developing a show 18 months of getting it sorted and planning out venues and then my time of getting there basically i've wasted a lot of my life like you said Mm. with wasting your time so it's not just respect for them it's respect for yourself i think in terms of just giving them something good and quite again comes up to that quality question I suppose economy-wise, it might have helped that there was a because you started when did you start 2009, 2010. Because there's been a there's been a banking issue and there's been a, um, a recession and stuff in that time. And I suppose that's helped in terms of people have kept their prices for them to try a free night. 
I think that's overthinking it. I, I, I think a good night runs by reputation. It doesn't run because it's free. I mean, I, maybe that's true, and I'm sure there are many, many reasons why different clubs succeed and fail. And there'll be many people listening to this that disagree with my opinion about, you know, people's time being more valuable than money and you know I think that's just respect for human beings but <laughs> other people have different ways of perceiving the world you know but I think that you can overthink these things and ultimately we we care about the comedy and we care about putting on a good night and we care about bringing new acts in because that's who we are you know and it's an intelligent self-interest we're interested in creating a circuit that I, I'm interested in creating a circuit that I can thrive and perform in and running a free comedy night means I get to experiment I get to do interesting stuff I get to kind of you know perform in front of an audience regularly and uh, if I had to rely on other people's booking me I mean I would get booked but I wouldn't get booked as regularly and I I don't know I just want to perform I know it sounds very kind of kids from fame no, but it's like I don't want to live forever but next year it'll be nice but other than that but yeah so. well I was going to I was going to talk about uh, the fact that you were saying you don't really want to be seen as a promoter and your label change so pointing at you and audio doesn't pick it up Barry saying that he doesn't necessarily want to be called a promoter or labelled that way and Sarah saying that your label has changed that you are now full time as a promoter in fact a director of a, of a comedy night mm-hmm. and I suppose I go with the Fight Club adage that you're not your job you're not you're not defined by one action you're not defined mm-hmm. by a simple thing but I know in terms of the, especially the entertainment industry you can get very tired of a brush very quickly especially with like acting or something mm-hmm. you get typecast and, it's, and you're stuck with it. How has being a promoter, as it's evolved, changed you as a person and, and impacted you as either being a comedian or not being a comedian? Um, oh, good question. How has being a promoter impacted my life? Oh, I like that. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, so I, I started out performing, so with very similar motivations to Barry. And I just, after a few years, I found the performing too hard. It's hard, Barry. I don't know why you do it. It's hard. Listen, I've got more deep-seated emotional reasons to do it. <laughs> or pro- I say reasons, I say, you know, slash problems yeah. to do it. So... <laughs> And I just found myself that I was enjoying running the nights and any time that we'd overbooked or I didn't have to perform, I was like, yes, I get to have a drink and just I hang out with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> a good year of conversations of like, you, Sarah, you're really good. We need you to, we need you to open. We need you to do this. But that person can open. No, they, they can't. We need you to open. It's like, don't I have to? Yes, you bloody have After to. about a year of that, of kind of Barry spending most of the nights trying to convince me to perform, we... Yeah, perhaps I decided that comedy wasn't for me. Performing comedy. So I just uh, started, yeah, I guess I I was a um, casual promoter just in terms of running those nights and caring about them and loving them and hanging out with people I loved and having a really good having a really good night. Now, so now that we've got the venue, I'd say that it's more a job that I still love, but it's, I, I wouldn't, we've, I mean, we're still figuring things out. I don't know whether I call myself a promoter because like this place is gonna is a lot more than that. Uh, it's about ten years ago. I used to God no, fifteen years ago. How old am I? I don't know. I Three back years in ago. <laughs> back in Sheffield. I'm talking about a long time ago. Three and I, a half years ago. I <laughs> it's ten years ago. I um, ran a, a circus arts charity and a, a theatre company a charity kind of thing. And um, so I was always really into kind of community arts. So now this with this venue this is what I see this becoming in the stand-up world so there's a yeah I, I'm still not a promoter I'd say I wouldn't 
I don't think I'd class myself as that. Certainly when we launch, some of my job is going to be trying to get information about the nights and stuff out there. But kind of looking at this as a whole and kind of what it could do and developing different relationships with different organisations and building a comedy community in this venue hub. Like, I don't know what, I don't know whether that does have a kind of job title because Maybe I don't think it it's been yet. done before. <laughs> yeah. Not in the UK at least. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes in terms of how it impacts me. I'm still very happy that I'm um, continuing the psychotherapy training because it, yeah. I am. Um, it means that I have a million therapists to support me in this, not a million, like 10. More than most yeah, exactly. It's great. It's just like free therapy with all my peers. So that's, so yeah, that's really good because it's a lot, it turns out uh, getting your own venue is a lot of work, Simon. I don't know. I wouldn't know, but <laughs> yeah. it looks it. Who, who knew that? <laughs> Every, everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. It was <laughs> apparently except for you two. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Barry has nothing to add to that. He's just rocking gently in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you took me to a bad place. <laughs> what was the question again? The question was, how has being a promoter affected you as a person slash performer slash anything um, else that it might have affected? I'm an accidental promoter. I don't really promote. I just, like... Uh, to be honest, a lot of the reason why Angel Comedy works is because it's a good night and I try and make it as good as possible and people come back and people enjoy mm. it and that's the best type of promotion you get. The best word type of, of promotion mouth. you get is word of mouth. It's, it's one, of the, one of the things I find most tedious of people calling me. Like in my last Chalter review, um, the review spent three paragraphs saying what a great promoter I was and it's, you know, by, by way of kind of diminishing the show of kind of saying there are loads of people here it's not because of the show it's because he's a good promoter and um and what it missed was the amount of love and care that went into promoting the show and like having fun with the advertising of it and also it was good so people came back and went other places like people seem to see promotion as something different to like the best promotion is just being good it's like mm. why does everybody like that person <laughs> because they're nice not because they're really good at Facebook updates, you know, you might follow them, but you kind of don't necessarily want to hang out and have a drink. And, and that's not saying that I'm the most amazing performer or person in the world, but I've always just concentrated on trying to be as funny as possible and trying to give the audience, respect the audience as much as possible and make the night as good as possible. And that has resulted in the club being good. Mm. And because I care and I don't, I, I, you know, don't want to let people down. And hopefully I'm not quite as mental enough to to well it means I can maybe I, I don't know I went off piste in that last I don't know where I was going about mental um, <laughs> I looked Sarah in the eye and she just went no no what? you're mental yeah. we've discussed this remember you're the mental one <laughs> I'm the one Go that's on. trying to find a way of dealing with you're the Kramer <laughs> so yeah I, I, I don't really see myself as a promoter and I know a lot of other people do I think the main way that's changed my life is that a lot of new acts don't tell me the truth <laughs> That's not true. They, they, they just, you know, they treat me with a kind of like they, uh, they're, they're a bit more wary around me because they think it's going to change the way that I see them or whatever. But I do, I do, I'm not looking at like that really. But I think I can definitely see the difference between the way that they respond to me. Like somebody might be quite rude to somebody else around me, and they'll, but they'll be so super nice to me. And I see that quite a lot. And it, it's, it, it's fine. It's just, it, it, it's, 
that so people are nicer to me I can't complain but <laughs> it's people see me as more important than I am and all I am really is a comedian that runs a night mm. so but that's nice I mean it's I suppose it's a reputation of Angel rather than or the reputation of me running Angel but that's probably the only way that's changed my my life other than yeah I used to I used I took a girl to a gig one time just after I started and I and I didn't like it because we broke up and then when I went back to that gig I had the association of her being there and I thought I'll never take Aww. a girl to a gig ever again I said no I've got problems but I, but I thought I'll never take a girl to a gig ever again and then it took a year or so for me to take another one back and I remember that one it didn't work out either but because I'd established myself a bit more by that point it was a different night people were coming over and immediately when they found out she wasn't in comedy I'd watch how they'd react to her rather than me because I sort of didn't like that they would go oh she doesn't run a gig or she's not really in it so why does it why do they matter in a way? Mm. And it's kind of like that, where it's like, they still matter, they're still a per- <laughs> they're still a person, and they're gonna be watching you and judging you in about 10 minutes, so maybe don't treat them like crap. But I suppose, I mean, I, I don't really see many people treating people like crap at the night anyway, but I suppose you're looking, you're looking at, you've got a different perspective on the night than I do. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of new acts come through the club. Which is just a lot of people. Mm. You know. And the majority of them. A lot of audience members as well. And yeah, a majority of Majority lovely. lovely. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's lovely, isn't it? I mean, cons- like, it's just thinking, well, thinking about audience members, like, maybe we get one or two a week who are a bit dickish. But considering the not amount of people. That, once, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, like, when that happens, I'm, we're so, like, devastated and, like, oh, why is the world, you know, why is the world so bad? But actually, the perspective of, mm. you know, thinking how many people people yeah. are actually love not not even just not dicks but lovely and that's my experience of comedians as well like there are so many of you that it's bound i'm sure there are a couple of dicks yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. but but yeah it's weird that the majority aren't yeah. quite cool yeah. or maybe i don't know sunil patel's a dick yeah it's true he's a total <laughs> dick. like don't don't if if you see sunil patel and he's got this kind of like cuddly kind of persian cat kind of thing to him you yeah. want to give him a hug or something like that don't he he'll he'll take your wallet mm-hmm <laughs> Am I leaving that in? Yeah, you're definitely yeah. leaving that yeah, in. Yeah, God, yeah. I want people about Sunil Patel. Oh, Seriously. Oh, this is a sincere thing. This isn't oh, like you, you've got yeah. a joke going and this is you adding in. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, 100 Yeah, true. yeah. Sunil Patel. Yeah, definitely. just don't just trust him. Don't trust him. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say, because the only... The only <laughs> trying to move on slightly, but it's not working. The only the only time I've had a bad experience at your night was uh, was when there was a guy yelling stuff out and you literally picked him up and carried him out. Yeah. Because he was yelling stuff out for every act and by the end of about halfway through my set I just said Look, just shut up and then he yelled out Trump sucks oh, and at that's that point right. and at that point you came over and just went we're picking you up like literally and you walked him out. I said come on go out he was drunk and I was like, come on yeah. go out come on I've, I've warned you once and he said no I'm not moving so I literally <laughs> scooped him up out of the chair yeah. and, and and carried him out and outside he was like oh oh all right then well uh sorry about that and then left yeah <laughs> but uh yeah i've i like i think it was um, amazing i left stage after i had five minutes left and i left stage because i thought i'm never gonna be able to top that that was such a great <laughs> moment that everyone was cheering and laughing the first time my parents ever came to angel oh, what happened? you were in you i think you were up in edinburgh oh. um <laughs> and there were like these three massive lads like at the back just heckling people which never happens at Angel and in front of my parents I had to remove them Um, it was yeah so weird I had to try and say this doesn't happen all the time because I think they were a bit worried for my safety but I did it like a pro got them out yeah 
A, a lot of comedians start nights to trade spots essentially when they first start out because it's a lot easier to if you've got a, a commodity to play with there. Did that ever come into account? Have you ever lost gigs as a result of being promoters when you were gigging or now or have you ever found that because you wouldn't trade spots you lost out on nights or anything like that? Um, so for me when I was performing it made it, <laughs> it made it harder for me to want to perform elsewhere because like they all I got used to Angel I got used to performing it in the Camden Head Angel and um, got used to that room so everywhere else felt really difficult but I never yet so that, that that's one of my memories from back then in terms of other gigs and there but I never really got into the whole tit for tat swapping thing yeah I, I, I generally if somebody's nice and they want to come and perform they can come perform and then if they're nice they'll give you a reciprocal gig I think, yeah. it, I think initially maybe the first six months because I was running the new act nights myself like the booking side of it then I think there was some reciprocalness in the first kind of couple of years but again it's just if somebody's nice and they can come perform anyway but yeah so that you know I think again it's all about performing it's like that's it opens your opportunities to perform so so yeah absolutely but it's, it's not solely that it's more of a rare case that somebody else is running a night anyway that's nice but it's always good to play other places I have questions I normally ask promoters but they don't feel as applicable based on what you've just said so the things like were there be any reasons why you would blacklist a comedian or why you would not book them and it feels yeah. like it's just going to be just because they're not nice or because or they're doing offensive material that would ruin them Life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Room or, yeah. or sorry, what you know? I'm just thinking of the people that have done offensive material. <laughs> all, all that and Sunil Patel, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, if Sunil Patel, yeah, we're doing a Sunil Patel tribute act. That's another reason we'd I'll blacklist. What I do next week, but the, when I, it, 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 <laughs> it. Keller is a dick too. <laughs> Could this just be? That's what the podcast is. <laughs> just kind of like being. It will go viral if you mention about four more names. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
I love the way your face just went, oh, okay. <laughs> can I fucking drop in? Oh, there's plenty of people. But it's, it's I mean, do, do people know they're not allowed back then? Like, if would you email someone and say, or would you just never reply? What would be your protocol for that? Um, usually people that don't gig or, or you don't want a your gig are not very nice people. Um, so you kind of, you don't really have to say anything because they, you know, they ask, you can just kind of say, mm, you're not really quite right. So, so yeah, I mean, the angel comedy club is has a certain demographic of people that come and watch it you know if you're going to come on stage there was a comedian that came on once and he's a good comedian and played lots of clubs and had a successful podcast but he threatened a woman on the front row that he was going to thought you were talking about me for a second no, so you no, said no. that I was like I've never threatened a woman <laughs> ever let alone on the front row threatened to cut her face off oh my god and uh, fuck her eye socket I think is the thing and uh, you know he's a good performer and there's an audience for what he does but that woman left crying and she didn't get that it was a joke and she was on the front the front row and her and her friend were upset by it and it wasn't really done in jest it was done quite you know the, the funniness was how angry he was saying it and so I think and I I don't believe in saying that anything isn't necessarily funny I think there are subjects every subject you can you can make funny it's like you know people say oh you can never make a rape joke and Bridget Christie has some amazing rape jokes you know there's like oh, oh you know some women like one of her brilliant ones is like, you know some women have rape fantasies well I have a rape fantasy which is a you know proper judicial system <laughs> that deals with rapists fairly <laughs> like that's my rape fantasy that's that's a rape joke mm. right? and that's brilliant but it's so like every subject can be spoken about but it's just you you don't you don't be horrible to people and respect people and that, both in the audience yeah. and that aren't there yeah. and over the fa- past few years again considering the amount of comedians who have come through our doors i can think of maybe two or three no you've not been at enough open mic nights no, there are more <laughs> You can think of people on a Saturday night, no, 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 seriously. Yeah, okay, but but a surprisingly few number of people that we've kind of the, yeah. like the yeah, kind of the, the kind the of people kind of the kind of people that you're yeah. the um the kind of you know the eye socket guy yeah, yeah. the that eye we, socket that, guy that we that's his yeah, hashtag that we that we would think we're never gonna um book back right. like g- generally we have a really open policy and the only reason that people don't get as many gigs as perhaps they'd like mm. is because we try and get everyone in we try and literally get everybody and in we don't blacklist people yeah there is no such thing as a blacklist That's because people change yeah you know it's like it just because somebody does the cutting your face off eye socket thing who, who's a person lovely guy off stage it's baffling why he's like that on stage yeah but it, you know that's everyone's got their own style but even that guy if he emails a year and a half later and we have a conversation about listen you can't go quite as dark because you really hurt somebody last yeah. time and he goes oh i get that then there's no such thing as a blacklist exactly know? we'd give we'd give them another chance it's, it's all about being open it we i think there is this I, I, I think people imagine that we do only have this very severe booking policy and it's it's not the case. No, it's just we try yeah. and give as much to stage time to as many people as possible, which means there's, that we can't get people in as regularly as we like. Because there's a lot of you. There's a lot of amazing people. That's the thing that's mental. There are so many fucking awesome acts out there and so few of them are represented because they don't fit into a certain demographic it's heartbreaking because so many of them will give up like the amount of people that have given up that are brilliant like me like you like you know know, that are getting regular spots like so you know I I, I don't want to name them because if I name them then you know but if you name three you name 20 yeah yeah. precisely Uh, but there are literally like 
boundary changing, fascinating, brilliant acts, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. The people that can alchemize a room, change a room, make people feel like special that they're at that gig. And those people are not picked up because they're not as consistent or they're not, they can't fit into a little box that somebody has or they haven't mm. won an award and been different. Or, you know, for every John Kearns, there's 20 other people that are as different or as good and yet didn't quite kind of uh, have the, the circumstances around which that allowed them to, to, to be that successful. And, and what, I, what I love about running a night, though, is that for that moment, we give audience members a chance to experience those acts that you're talking about. Yeah, so variety, it, true variety. Yes, yeah. and that, that specialness. So, I mean, I guess I'm relating to an earlier question that you had about kind of the industry and going further and what success is. But, you know... For those moments, there's success and there's specialness. Um, yeah. I, I find I find it hard to ask you guys questions because you are like like we Dicks. talked. <laughs> you are Sunil Patel in person. Uh, you, I, oh, I'm gonna have to edit that out. Don't edit that out. <laughs> the world has to know. <laughs> I don't know why he's been. He's never been a dick to me. So yeah. no. You're lucky. You're lucky, Simon. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Well, I've only met him twice, three yeah, times. Yeah, so. you would have been a dick behind your back. All right, fair enough. You know. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's a, there's a problem. The problem I've got is, is unless someone is a dick directly at me, right, I just assume they're probably quite nice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Terrible. And I'm aware. Naive, naive. I am aware. I'm aware that all I'm asking for there is for people to DM me on Twitter and Facebook and go, you're a fucking arsehole. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't ask my question or whatever. But, I, whatever. Yeah, go on. No, 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 that's not. Yeah, you were going to say something. Yeah. No, no, I was just. Well, it was your question. Oh, my, 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 my thing was was that most of the time when I interview promoters, the questions are very much because they're in the they're a cog in a machine of the industry, if that makes sense. So mm. if if an act owned by Avalon, let's go with that for now, wanted to get themselves on uh, Amuse Moose, they would obviously have that connection and they would go, well, we're going to get this act on who's massive. You need to book, like you said, three of our other acts on on the preceding weekends because otherwise we won't let you have whoever it may be, uh, Dara O'Brien, whoever it was, right? Whereas you guys aren't, you're part of that system, but you're not in that system. It doesn't feel like you're, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I feel like you know what I'm trying to say, but I'm not saying it very well. There's a, there's a great philosopher, social philosopher, partially great, called Hakim Bey, who talks a lot about mediation and how so much of the alienation in our society is created by how many media or how many kind of different connections our connection with a human being has to go through. So like a, an experience of watching TV is a really mediated experience so that while you can watch TV and empathize or a movie or empathize with somebody, there are so many f layers that it goes through. It goes through the projector, it goes through the, you know, the, the director's eye, the editor's eye. There are so many different ways and filters which it goes through. And the live experience of having somebody on stage with a microphone is one of the least mediated experiences mm. you can have. It is mediated through through the PA, you know, so you can reach more people. But a live experience in a small room, the, the fewer people in that room, to a certain degree, the less mediated that experience. And talking to somebody person in person is the least mediated of all. It's still mediated by language, it's still mediated by how much I can express by flapping my meat at you. You know, it's, it, those kind of things. And what the reason why I'm bringing that up is because what I find value in and what Angel Comedy is, is it's about creating an unmediated or as little mediated mm. experience as possible for, for both the audience and the performer. 
in a room, in a mm. live moment where they can share a moment in a room with a performer that is yeah. real. And, and that for me is where stand-up is, it's where a stand-up loses a lot of its value after you get to rooms of more than a thousand people. It's why it's special with rooms of say 60 to a thousand people in different ways. Different rooms have different kind of strengths, whatever. But it's one of the most valuable and important things in our society that you actually have contact and connection with not, other, not only other performers, but also other audience members. And it's, it's something that grows community, and it's something but it's also something really importantly that you cannot make a huge amount of money on hmm. it is it, its value is inherent in its actual operation and so you can't capitalize on it and make too much money unless you're charging 60 pounds a ticket and i suppose the the experience that we've had running because we run a, a comedy club for ourselves as stand-up comedians is we have tripped upon and found luckily this kind of format or formula for creating something special yeah. that means something to both the performer and the audience in the room and I think that's outside of outside of most people's concept of what reality is because most people's concept of reality is to do with making money and how do you fit into that cult and how do you fit into that machine and it, we're not in a machine we are in the human world of relating from one human to another and creating possibilities for that to happen that's deep man yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I ask for context just before I, I reply to what you just said you both have you, you're a student Sarah at the moment yeah. and you're you have oh, a day <laughs> no, but you have you have a job. Is my my point to that? Uh, I I now live off comedy, so I now do corporates, okay. and I also like you know perform at various other big clubs that pay me yeah. big money, man, cash pussy money, big fat comedy dollar. Sorry, I, I was really struck by what you were saying there, Barry. I think that that sums up a lot for me, kind of what mm. Angel is about, and and also why my other passion is psychotherapy because it's it's about connection and mm. um and that one-on-one thing is what I get like I was hungry Angel gave me a taste and I wanted more (laughs) to go back to what you were saying about like it's it's almost like if if we had an agenda to invite agent um to come and see acts like that would change the that would change Mm. the essence of what we were doing of the simplicity the purity of of it god I'm sounding like a bit pretentious now but well I say fuck pretension because pretension (laughs) is just what how someone perceives it no but pretension is the word that cynics put on somebody actually expressing themselves honestly and like Mm. I love Josie Long's line of like uh, what's the value in being cynical in the world like get to the end of your life and you know what I didn't Mm. enjoy any of it (laughs) get me now it's just a lack of not being vulnerable you know is Mm. it it, it, yeah and we, we were talking before mics about personal issues and, and connection and I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last year uh, struggling to, to talk to new people and have relationships because I, I, I've been questioning whether you can ever know anyone whether the filters that people build up and the media they take in and, and, and the fact that I can only perceive a small amount of what they are because of the way they're expressing themselves to me and my filter on what I receive from that I'm not sure so, so the fact that you have that but from a, a larger point of view of what you're doing here mm. is amazing to me because I just, I just I don't I often don't feel like you can ever fully know anyone unless you were that person yeah there's a yeah I mean there's a great book called Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning which is I recommend anyone, anyone read it's it's about his time in the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And it's like, whatever has meaning for you has meaning for you in that moment. And connection yeah. is about finding meaning in connection with other people. I love how Sarah's sitting there analysing us both, just no, sort of no, looking at the floor going, I it, wish I had my notepad. <laughs> I'd make a bloody fortune. But, but it's, it's where, money, money. I, I agree, <laughs> I, I agree you can't um, truly know what it's like to be another person. Mm. But where the magic happens is where these two separate people, um, whether that's, 
a therapist and a client or two friends or two strangers or an audience and a comedian. Where the magic happens is where these two separate people meet mm. um, and that's what the connection is and that's, yeah, that's, that's where it gets magic. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a vulnerable state to be in it's for an audience member, which is why, I was thinking about this the other day, why no one ever sits in the front row? They're perceiving that as the most vulnerable because they're in, they're in the line of fire it's, to be vulnerable with someone who's put themselves in a position to be vulnerable in front of them. It's, it's terrifying for comedians, it's terrifying for audience members, it's terrifying for psychotherapists and for clients <laughs> and for two strangers who meet each other for the first time. Like actually meeting each other in their truth Mm. And their vulnerability is really scary, and there's a lot of risk, but it, there's also a lot of payoff. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely listen to Brené Brown on love her, her talk yeah, yeah, on yeah. TED Talk, and I mean, I would, I'd absolutely echo what Sarah said. And I also think that I think the idea of self is really, you know, we live in a society that uh, that really heightens the uh, the notion of the individual. You look at any like the height of what you can do in this world, and it drives consumerism and everything. That's capitalism is to find your unique talent and express that within the world. And I just think that's, to be honest, it's like our own conceptions of who we are are just our beliefs. They're just who mm. we think we are. And who we think we are is like, it's beside the point, who but, we are is right now. And that's the thing that we, all, that we all strive for, to find our unique talent, to express that, and to make a lot of money from it. And actually, I guess what we've been talking about is if you very different money, Yeah, that. if you remove the money element of something, would you still do it, is the question that I like asking people especially in comedy at the moment. And a lot of we them... We did. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but a lot, a lot of performers, you know, like you said, mm. their, their main aim is to get on TV or to get a lot of money out of it and see that kind of stuff. And I'm, oddly enough, reluctantly enjoying my day job at the moment because as much as I'm doing better than I've ever done on stand-up and I'm getting booked in more places mm. than I've ever been, I wouldn't, at the moment, want to make it my full-time thing. I would, If someone turned around to me tomorrow and said, we'll pick you up as an agent or make it your full-time mm. thing, I'd have to really consider it. But at the moment, I'm liking that it's not because it means that when I pick the gigs I'm doing, which I can do at this stage because I have the luxury of the fact I have a day job. It means that I enjoy what I'm doing a lot more and I'm hoping to follow that through but I don't know if that will work as a because we all do stuff we're not happy with doing just because we yeah, need money as well. Exactly because I do understand that you know of course we've got we've all got to pay bills so there's no judgment there's no judgment yeah. on those kind of questions like which is a bit disingenuous because I feel like we have been judging a little bit haven't we? <laughs> yeah, who have we been doing? Apart from Sunil. Apart from yeah mainly Sunil. <laughs> Money You're giving a lot of airplay for someone well, you don't like. <laughs> the thing is, though, I mean, you say we've been judging. Like, you know, we all run by, we all live our life by our set of beliefs. Mm. And uh, at the moment, the social system that we live in believes that money is the most important thing that you need. It's yeah. like, you know, we're all dancing to that drum and that's very out there and you can't swim against the tide. It's very difficult to even ideologically within your own head swim against that tide. Mm. So, and, you know, we're manipulated to swim against that tide, but not in a kind of conspiracy theory way. It's just the way that the that society works. And, but I, th I suppose the reason I'm saying that is because, I, you know, I think that a lot of, people that look at Angel are seeing it through the prism of money and the money machine mm. and that's fine and it is part of you know part of the world and you do have to survive and that's really you know pragmatic and I guess I've never been pragmatic I'm somebody that you know that has never been <laughs> pragmatic I'm a professional idiot as a job you know so um uh, yeah. Well, I, I had a couple of questions on community because it's you a good sitcom. <laughs> uh, it's more specifically your community. Okay. What were the milestones that 
first of all, you started as an open mic thing, and most people start open mic things literally, like you said, for stage time. But it feels like you branched off in a different way to most open mics where their main focus is just getting people in the door every week and it's not building a relationship with them it's not building that community field to mean they would tell their friends and then their Mm -hmm. friends would come and maybe they'd come with or they'd come back another week was that a conscious effort on your part would that organically come out of this ethos that you've been talking about and what were the milestones involved in making that community continue to grow i mean i think it was organic i mean with a lot of work but I think it was organic people like yeah. I one of the things that came up for me in that question is like a lot of people like to ascribe kind of pride or intentionality to what happens in their life and I, I you know I think that anyone is it who is in any place is so there by luck or chance about you know it's like where you were born what you ended up doing where the open mic gig you started running was uh, you know there is so much luck and opportunity you know you can't there wasn't an intention to create a community wasn't an intention to do anything else other than get stage time and it was just lucky really and and I think luck is 90% of it you know it's like yeah you've got to then use that 10% if you've got for marginal gains and try and make it work but and if you haven't got something good and so the meaning didn't kind of drive it the meaning is kind of like you know I try and be a good person I fail a lot of the time but yeah. I remember it really surprised me when I started hearing about angel comedy being talked about outside of our circle. Yeah, um, it still surprised me. Yeah. People see it. So, yeah, yeah it's was, it was really weird. I was like, oh, you, you got... Like a friend, a friend of mine was saying, oh, yeah, my work colleagues like, love angel. And I was oh, like, cool. how, what? How, did, yeah. how did they know? <laughs> so um, that kind of surprise tells me that perhaps I'm not the most intentional of, perform- <laughs> of promoters. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Organic um, is the answer to the question. I'm not going to bother asking the follow-up then, because it's pretty much <laughs> answered by that. I'm going to ask you the quick-fire finishing questions. Uh, quick-fire for me, you take as long as you like. First of all, uh, aside from the one you've already recommended, are there any books uh, sorry, are there any books that you would recommend for, on stand-up comedy, radio, writing, any of that kind of stuff? I feel a bit on the spot. I feel like I haven't read anything ever in my life now. Um, what, comedy-wise you, or ever? Ever, I did an English, I did an English lit degree okay. first. I, I can't remember a single book. I've been getting really into David Sedaris recently. After you uh, oh, yeah. gave Masood that book, yeah, yeah Naked is a good book. Mm. Um, I think that if you're if you've got the drive to be funny, you will be funny, and just read as much as broad a you know a, a broader section cross section of things and be interested in as many things as possible like that's Mm. as best you can do and then have it filtered through your own sense of humor and and apply yourself just sit down and do it and don't doubt yourself christ's sake like everyone can fucking do it like if i can do it anyone can fucking do it i'm an idiot and you definitely will doubt yourself (laughs) yeah and that's the biggest thing you you know yeah i mean (laughs) yeah you will who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry Sunil Patel. <laughs> He's fucking awesome. He's one of my favourite acts. Change your tune like an iPod shuffle there. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm the Schrodinger's cat. He's the Schrodinger's cat comedian. You never know how you're going to feel about him until you get out of the box. Uh, Underrated person in com- person. It can either be, well, I always keep it vague, so it can either be an industry person or a, or a comedian, however you want to do it. Barry. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not me, Barry. Oh, yeah. The Barry Cryer. <coughs> Barry Cryer, yeah. Another, another lonely Barry. <laughs> I think the most underrated person is probably somebody that we don't know. 
<laughs> like if they're rated, you kind of know who they are. I mean, you know, there are people that do great work. I mean, what what I find interesting is those people like Bob Slayer, who's really good self-publicist, but also I know certain things about Bob's personal life, and I know that he's actually a really good person, despite how he might appear sometimes. Like you know, he's and, a lovely and, guy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, genuinely, but he wouldn't publicise those things. There are certain people that I know that are really well known, and I'm not going to name drop, but. The thing, some of the things that I know that they've done have been stunningly moving and supportive of those people around them. I suppose the... So, I don't know. I think there are a lot of people that do a lot of good things that we don't hear about. I, I, and I thought about something else, actually. Um, MCs, I think, are really underrated. Good so, MCs. Yeah. <laughs> the ability to MC is... Like, we still have audience members coming out and saying, and you know, saying to the MCs, oh, you should give stand-up a go. Nobody ever says that to me. <laughs> if anything, they say maybe don't bother next time. <laughs> yeah, they just say just keep emceeing. You don't worry about doing. <laughs> but yeah, like emcees, I think are underrated. Really good ones. Um, yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? Sunil Patel. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't know. How, would you, how would you like solve? How would you side. solve him? How do you solve him? Yeah. I don't know. He's got this. He's going to say cut his face off. Shave. Shave. <laughs> what happened if you shaved him? Shave. Maybe shave like his. I could, could your final question always involve you asking somebody what do you think of Sunil Patel? <laughs> um, I, I can add it in if you want. When I asked, uh, Beck Hill submitted a question to uh, Kat, Kate. Uh, she's Karen. another dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree with that. She is totally the worst. Um, Isn't she? No, uh, she submitted a question to Karen Corrin. That was who is your favourite comedian named Beck Hill, which, which I thought was a great starting question. So, uh, if you want, I can always ask who is your least favourite comedian called Sunil Patel. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest uh, problem in the comedy industry. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think things you can get quite, you know, our human brains really like to make things black and white. And, you know, it's very efficient, evolutionarily, it's really efficient, it saves us energy and saves us time to be able to know one thing and know that's a problem. And I, I don't really like thinking in modular terms in that sense. I mean, mm. one of, I don't know if Daniel Kitson still thinks this way, but one of my favourite lines from Daniel Kitson is, uh, I, <clears throat> if I come to a conclusion about something, uh, it just means I've stopped thinking about it, which I really like as, mm. a, as a notion in which to live your world, because, you know, truth is impermanent. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You're, you know, we've Buddhism. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's Buddhism, but it's also you know, in uh, it's relative, a lot of it's relativism. It's postmodernism. It's, yeah. it's within under underscores a lot of other communities, a lot of the philosophies. But my point being is, like, what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry? I think there is no problem in the comedy industry. I think the comedy industry is a beautiful, amazing thing. It that just works. is, and it just is, and that. Um, I think there might be a lot of problems for p certain people in the comedy industry if they're trying to earn a shit ton of money or if they're not famous enough or if they're not getting, you know, booked up because they're too old or too, I don't know, too uh, generic or they, however they see other people and how relative they see themselves to the rest of the world. So a problem is only a problem from the point of view of the person that's kind of looking at it like a problem for one person is a solution for somebody else you know like you say oh Avalon are a massive problem for people in the economy it's not I've, for I've never Avalon, said that but, no, no, but, <laughs> but you might say you might say Avalon yeah. because they're such a big agency but Matt Ford will tell you that Avalon are a big problem in the economy industry because he's just got a, you know uh, a, a series 
so like a problem is only a problem for where you are standing and to be honest where I'm standing is I'm, I'm much more interested in looking at if I can at what are the good things because I find that if I think of the good things then I that yeah. engenders more good things rather than if I think of the problems I see a thousand problems so I'm, I'm going all kind of like uh, I don't know Deepak Chopra on you sorry short answer Sunil Patel okay <laughs> uh, 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 that's what Sunil would say but he'd do it in his voice you know, like <laughs> well, a real wanky voice such a dick <laughs> he, he doesn't talk like that normally have you heard him off stage just, just sounds like a squeaky man from Helium Factory. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, I'm just joining in now and I like him, but I, I literally <laughs> don't know what side you guys are on. Um, the, the I like confusing Simon. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun for me. <laughs> By the way, the only reason I said Buddhism is because we've talked about that off mic before in terms of you when you went to Hawaii and, and uh, were at a retreat and, and meditation based yeah, stuff. Yeah, that wasn't a so, Buddhism, that was a Hindu. Oh my bad. So, but no, no, I, no. I know, no, I, know it's, I know it's a present in a lot of different philosophies. Mm. And a but lot I don't. Of uh, but I, I know impermanence from Buddhism. That's why. Yeah, I don't ascribe to any particular religion. I, I think that a belief structure is really interesting in how people yeah. act on their beliefs. But I, I also think that belief is malleable, and it's really interesting. You can yeah. kind of, <coughs> you know, go. Oh, I believe in this today, and I believe in that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I love how philosophical and like spiritual this podcast yeah, has got. It doesn't matter. It's great. This is what it usually is. Love just it. me and him chatting, that's what happens. <laughs> well, no, like, I, I would not say I am any religion. I'd say there's no God, that's as far as I'd go, but I wouldn't say I I'd have say there's a, no God? Yeah, I, mm. I, believe, I don't believe What do you think God. it was God, though? Then you're defining what you think it was oh, God. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. So, I don't believe in the whole, there is a higher power in any kind of... Uh, are you not a higher power? Oh, I'm not going to say that, I'm all right. <laughs> no, I, I just, in the traditional sense of what How a God many is... How downloads does this have? You told me you're a higher power, so... I'm, I, I told you... It are does, you a lower power? It, what kind of power are you? This episode is not going to do very well, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, no, I, I, in the traditional sense of what a god is defined as, in other words, uh, uh, an omnipotent, omnipotent being who created everything and, and knows everything and is everywhere, I don't believe in that. I do believe in, in matter and energy and, and the way that that's perceived is not necessarily the way that I would completely ascribe to, but I don't, I don't have a religion. So I love this, it's turned into a us interviewing Simon about his beliefs. <laughs> I want that. I want that to continue. I want that to continue. Yeah. But I think we've got a comedy night tomorrow. Yeah, I've got a comedy night. So, so we'll end on this question. This is, well, I've got. I had two, but I'll, I'll end on this one. Unless, unless I tell, I'll ask it. And if you've got a quick answer, then we'll do that. The, the, the question was going to be, uh, what is the biggest misconception about who you are, or what you do, and what would be your response to it? I don't know that people know who I am, really. I know who you are. <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, you two, you, do, you two do, but like, That's I don't know. Sunil acts like he doesn't know you. <laughs> just blanks me all That's the time. all that matters that we know. But I mean, um, kind of industry level. Like, so I don't know whether, I don't know people whether people know think, oh, that's Sarah, that's Sarah. No one cares. Nobody knows how they're yeah, yeah. perceived. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Okay, so your, so your I, biggest I misconception is you don't know if you're even being perceived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah. And then, then I'm okay with that. Okay, and... I don't know, read all my short reviews, come to your own conclusion. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll see how I'm perceived, because that's, yeah. Okay. Uh, the last question is going to be, uh, if you... What is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And if you had one bit of advice for a comedian wanting to start their own comedy night now, what would it be? I... I remember the best bit of advice I was given um, when I was starting out comedy was by Paul McCaffrey. He was doing the he was doing the gig of my first gig, and he said, "You there are going to be some nights that you're going to uh, think 
want to give up and there are going to be some nights that you do so well that you want to um you think you're going to be in Jonathan Ross show the next day and it's about keeping level and um kind of yeah that was the best advice I had but then I quit three years later so maybe it was <laughs> shit advice Paul thanks Paul where's the Jonathan Ross show side of things it was around the time that Jonathan Ross show was cancelled <laughs> what did Paul know Paul's worse than the son of the the question was the biggest bit of advice. The, the best bit of advice you've ever been given. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a bit of advice you've ever used because a lot of people go, that's a great bit of advice, I never fucking use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what would be one bit of advice you would have for someone who wanted to start their own comedy night now? Um, I don't know whether I've been given any advice. It's funny, when you're a new comedian, you ask everyone, oh, what do you think about this? How did that go? You know, you're kind of, you're seeking advice and really the only thing you can do is write and take risks on stage and fail and get up and fail again fail better you know as um uh Samuel Beckett said but um I I think people are often looking for a larger solution or a larger end game like that's where I want to end up and ultimately all you've got is this particular moment right now and are you doing what you want to do in this moment are you doing everything you can and if you are writing comedy or performing comedy, you've got that happening in your life, then you're fucking making it. You're doing exactly what you want to do. So maybe don't end game it or disrespect where you are right now and just go, right, this is awesome where I am right now. I get to perform, I get to write, I get to express myself. And, you know, and yeah, I can have in my head that I might like to get on TV or I might like to meet these people and write with those people. And, but there's something very special and we're very lucky I think in the West and very lucky in the time that we're born to be able to actually write things and to be able to perform them and express ourselves creatively and that's not been something that's been possible before so I guess just appreciate where you are cool well thank you very much for coming on thank you Simon that was Barry and Sarah there's a real and I don't want to get too Jurassic Park on you but anyone who knows me even vaguely well will know that I can't go more than 12 hours without referencing that film but there's a real life finds a way element to the way they talk and I found that just inspiring and interesting and just amazingly although they were clearly tense and stressed about all the work that they've taken on to make that project that they've worked so hard on to become a success there's a real optimism in their voice and and I, I just really enjoyed the edit of it I just I, I personally believe time is the most valuable thing we have and it should be much higher up the chain than money than it already is to some people and their ethos and my ethos about doing comedy and doing stand-up for the performance and for the right reasons or for the reasons that we think are right really it was just great to have a like-minded conversation about that and to play devil's advocate for people who are maybe cynically looking at the way the free model works in London or even the free model in general so I really enjoyed that I should point out that free is not the only option and it's it shouldn't be the only option it's just one that happens to have worked for them but it happens to have worked for them because they've built this community and they've and they've invested in people and they've put their time into something that they can be proud of at the end of the day. I want to thank them for giving me the time to talk to me and to take part in this project. As I said, time is the most valuable thing we have. So the fact they gave me a few hours of theirs is amazing, especially at a time where they were still building and constructing the venue and putting it all into place for the big launch that happened a few weeks ago. If you'd like to thank them, you can find their social media links in the show notes or on the website, or if you just Google Angel Comedy or the Bill Murray on, or the Bill Murray Pub probably was what to Google better. Best name for a pub ever, by the way. Love that name. 
If you Google any of those things, you should be able to find them and you can just send them a thank you. Please do take a moment to do that if you've got any value out of this podcast because it's important to do that. That goes for all the guests, by the way. If you've got value out of any of these podcasts, send me something if you want to, that's great. But if you are sending me something saying, I really love this guest, please also send it to the guest. I I pass it on most of the time and it's amazing when that happens. It happens maybe once every couple of days and I, I love it. But it's a case of please do tell the guests as well because it's important that they know that people are valuing what they're doing and their contribution to this project as well. Personal highlight of this for me was the speech Barry gave at about the 40 minute mark. It was just an honour to edit that and to listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Just neither of them were aware of the questions ahead of time as always and so their answers were off the cuff. And a lot of the things he said were just things I've always wanted to say but in a much more succinct way. And so it was just great to have that. I might even just clip it and put it somewhere so people can listen to just that if they want to, because it was just great and well said. So kudos, Barry, if you're still listening to this. Kudos. Also, why are you listening to your own podcast? Find that weird, don't you? As I mentioned at the start, uh, my new concept night is going to be taking place at the Bill Murray in Islington in London. It's an LGBT and kink themed comedy night and uh, I'm really excited. I'm doing this with a friend of mine who is not a comedian but is in the comedy industry who has got a lot of experience in booking nights and sorting out the marketing for them and yeah, I'm, we're both just very excited about the project and the way that it's moving and it's on the 22nd of January you can still buy a ticket it's in the show notes and on my website and on the website for the podcast just everywhere just look up queer as jokes that's the name of the night it will be the name of the podcast when I manage to get that off the ground it's just slightly delayed because of the amount of other commitments I've got if you can't make it please do share the link with someone who you think can also if you'd like to learn more about the free economy and how to build an audience around what you do my book is on sale cheap plug here but it's great segue Simon solid segueing. don't know why the BBC haven't rung yet to ask you to do some voiceover work my second book how to make a living by working for free is now available on Amazon Kindle for £5 or you can buy it in a paperback format on my website which is simonkane.co.uk forward slash shop you can find those links in the show notes for this podcast also on my website any and all support in that area would be amazing that book is a how-to guide for artists on how to build an audience for what they do using free content online and so links into the ethos for this podcast but also the methodology that they've used and i think you get loads of value out if you've enjoyed this episode i think you'd really enjoy the book but i'm biased on both those things so take what you want from that thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing and thank you very much for sharing or coming to the event if you do Thank you very much for supporting me in any way that you do, whether that be coming down to the event, sharing a link to the event, sharing a link to this podcast, or buying my book. I will see you all in about 15 days' time. Bye! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.